All right. So today we're going to talk about exercises for growing mentally strong. Before we get started, we are reviewing a review of the week. This review comes from iTunes. Amazing info. I love the content on this podcast as a nutritionist. I'm always looking for relevant new ideas, and this podcast has just that. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, ladies. That was from Michelle at My Mind Body Baby. Thank you so much, Michelle. And guys, thank you. Your ratings, your reviews, and feedback, they mean so much to us. If you would take a minute to subscribe, rate our podcast, and give us a review, your reviews will help us get more viewers learning and inspired. If you are on iTunes or YouTube, please take a screenshot of your five-star rating and DM us on Instagram, and we will put your name into a draw for an awesome prize. Thanks, guys. You guys rock. Today, we're going to talk about exercises for growing mentally stronger. And we are super thrilled to have Amy Morin with us, who is a psychotherapist, international best-selling author, and a mental strength trainer, which is so cool. Like, I don't know anyone that's entitled that. So thank you for being here with us, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Before we get into meat of our topic, I just want to actually tell everyone, by the time that we release this, it's literally a week away from your actual new book that we'll be launching out. What's the name of that book? It's a kid's book. It's called 13 Things Strong Kids Do, and it goes on sale April 6th. Wow. So it's literally made for kids. It is about the eight to 12 year old range. Um, My other books are for adults, and I had so many parents and so many adults saying, how do we raise strong kids? And so I'd written a parenting book to help parents become coaches for their kids. And then we decided, let's create something to give in the, to give to kids themselves so that they know, okay, here's an exercise. Here's what I can do when I'm struggling with my feelings. Here are some things I oh can do gosh. when I want to give up. So yeah, it's my first kid's book and I'm super excited to get it out there into the world. Well, we're super excited to see it and get it. And, you know, I would love to talk a little bit more about that in the latter half of our chat, but first we're going to talk about for adults, which really, I guess, can go towards adolescence and stuff anyway, right? Um, So you talk about mentally strong. So I guess we need to back that up with, you know, what is mentally strong? And even before that conversation, we would love to hear your story uh, because I, I, I read your book or actually I listened to your book in your voice, which I loved. And you spoke to how you had, challenges and how you overcame then. So really, basically, you're, you're exemplifying how you are mentally strong. So can you share us with us your story? Sure. So I'm a therapist by trade. So um, I thought, all right, I know a lot of stuff I've learned in college, and I'm going to teach all these people in my therapy office, everything that came out of a textbook. And I thought, this is, this is what I got. But uh, about a year into my practice, my mom passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm. And it was my first major loss in life. And I had to figure out, okay, how do you go through grief? And intellectually, I knew that our tendency is to avoid the pain. We want to do anything we can to escape it. But that's what keeps us stuck. And I had seen a lot of people in my therapy office who had gone through really tough times and somehow they emerged from it stronger, but I'd seen other people too who've gone through tough times and they just felt stuck in life. And I wanted to know what separates those people. So I studied them for my own purposes too, because I thought, you know, I want to come out of this and, and be mentally strong. One of the things I realized early on was it wasn't always about what people did. Sometimes it was about what people didn't do. People who didn't have certain bad habits seemed to get through tough times relatively uh, unscathed it's still they still experienced the pain they still went through a lot of difficult emotions but they came out on the other side feeling 
like they were more capable and competent than they thought they were. And I'm glad that I started studying those people because on the three-year anniversary of the day my mom died, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And I thought, okay, I'm a widow now. I don't have my mom. How do I get through this? And really focused on not doing certain bad habits, like feeling sorry for myself. And it took a long time to, to work through that grief. And I mean, obviously at 26, you're not supposed to be widowed. And it was incredibly painful and lonely and just an awful time in my life. But worked as hard as I could on experiencing all of those emotions and figuring out how do I get through, through them so that I can come out on the other side feeling okay again. And it took years to get there, but, uh, but I finally did. And I got a new job, a new house. I got remarried and life was starting to look pretty good. And my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I just remember thinking, not again, I've grieved for so long and I don't really have it in me to grieve any longer. My heart's broke, been broken for, for so long. Uh, so I wrote, sat down and I wrote a list of all of the bad habits I needed to avoid because when I'm at feeling that overwhelmed, the last thing I wanted was a long to-do list. So I created a don't-do list as a way to say, okay, no matter what, just don't do these things today and somehow you'll be okay. <laughs> and when I was done, I had a list of 13 things and uh, I would read over that list as often as I could and I found it to be helpful. So I thought maybe it'll help someone else. And so I published it online thinking, 10 people might read it and I hoped it would resonate with one, but uh, 50 million people read that article and it uh, changed the course of my life. And that's why I'm still here today speaking about mental strength because it seems a lot of people were interested in knowing how do I grow mentally stronger? Well, so this is a great segue into, I, I was also listening to your podcast uh, just recently and you were talking about there's a difference between mental health and mental strength. Can you, you know, talk, deep dive into this conversation here? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's a big misconception that a lot of people have. They think that if you have depression, it means that you're weak or an anxiety disorder is a sign that you're not strong enough. But those things aren't true. In fact, if we talked about mental strength and mental health the same way we talked about physical health and physical strength, it becomes a little bit clearer. So for example, nobody questions the fact that you can go to the gym, lift weights and become physically strong. And that as you become stronger, it can prevent a lot of physical health issues, but it doesn't guarantee you won't ever get them. You still might develop high cholesterol someday. You still might end up getting cancer, even if you're working out a lot. Mental strength is the same. There are exercises you can do to grow mentally stronger, can prevent tons of mental health problems. It can improve your mental health, but it's not a guarantee that you won't ever develop a mental health issue. Uh, so for people to know, okay, this is this is helpful. This is good for my mental health, but it's not a it's not a safeguard. And if you develop a mental health issue, it's not a sign that you're weak. Sometimes mental strength exercises can improve your mental health, but again, doesn't guarantee you won't ever get one. And to answer the question you had asked before about what mental strength is, is there's three parts to it. It's about the way you think, feel, and behave. And the thinking part is really about identifying how do you think realistically. Sometimes people think it's about being overly positive, but being overconfident is just as detrimental as not having any confidence at all. So it's about thinking realistically. And then about emotions, it's about knowing that you have some ability to regulate how you feel, that you don't have to be happy all the time, but also you don't have to stay stuck in a bad mood. And then the part about our behavior is all about how do you take some kind of positive action in life, even when you don't feel like it? How do you push yourself to, to be more self-disciplined? How do you resist temptation when you really want to eat that piece of chocolate cake? Uh, and knowing that there are lots of the strategies that you can practice so that you can live your best life. 
Love that. And, you know, I love how you, you know, in your life and your experiences that has informed you and how to educate others. So it's really fantastic. Um, So what are some of the examples of mental strength exercises that you're actually utilizing with people? So one of the simplest things people can do is uh, practice gratitude. And gratitude has been shown to uh, do everything from improve our immunity to increase our physical health. People who are grateful are 10% happier. They tend to live longer. The list goes on and on about all the benefits. They tend to have more friends, a better social life. And it's simple and it's pretty easy. Uh, And I talk a lot about it in the book about how it wards off self-pity. When we get stuck in a a place of uh, self-pity, we tend to think I, I deserve better. But when you practice gratitude, it shifts your mindset. So you think, well, I have more than I deserve. And so it could be as simple as saying, I'm going to write in a gratitude journal right before I go to bed. I'm going to put three things I'm grateful for. Or maybe you develop a habit with your kids over the dinner table. You just go around the table and say, what's, what's the best thing that happened to you today? So it's just about shifting your mindset to focus on the positive a little bit more so that you aren't automatically looking for the negative. Love that. And awesome. in one of the episodes, Dr. Tanya and I were talking about this, right? The, uh, we, I mentioned uh, the practice that uh, Takeda Wahe did. Have you heard of him? He was the no. Warren Buffett of Japan. So for one of his rituals, and he actually requests all the uh, companies that he would invest his money in to do this practice, which is a thousand gratitudes a day, which is kind of insane. Right. So. <laughs> to be like a, a gratitude, a second, like one, one gratitude thing. A minute. Right, a minute, one, a minute. When it, oh, was it a minute? Oh, per minute. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. It was per, <laughs> per minute. Yes. Oh, it's it like was a lot. to the next level. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, a just as a intense. challenge for yourself, if you ever want to try Yeah. It's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I always tell people it's a superpower and it's one that we don't utilize much. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't really take up. Most of us doesn't take up much time. If you're doing a thousand, that's going to take you some time, but start with three. <laughs> and uh, it can really shift your, your mood. It shifts how you think uh, it affects your behavior. It really can be quite powerful. Absolutely. I mean, they've done scans where they've actually seen physical changes, right? And for the yes. better, it's amazing. It can elevate your happy mood molecules in your brain. I just wanted to just say, to reiterate what you were just saying, and I love that you said it was very powerful, but I think I also just wanted to say that I think what I'm getting from you is that mentally, people with mental health conditions can also be mentally strong when you're talking about the muscle and exercising the muscle. And I just wanted to reiterate that because we have it, um, a lot of mental health issues in our family history. And I feel like we're all super mentally strong as long as we put our minds to it. And what, 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 is, um, what are some other exercises beyond gratitude that everybody can do to uh, help be a little mentally stronger through the pandemic right now. So gratitude, you said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, to reiterate your other point, people with mental health issues and those of us that have strong genetic links to mental health issues are predisposed to it. And I think mental strength is all about the choices you make every day and you can hopefully ward off some of those mental health problems and improve your mental health. Another big one for, especially during the pandemic, there's so many things that we can't control. And I talk a lot about the importance of focusing on what you can control. You can control how often you wash your hands or whether you wear a mask. You can't control what government policies come out next week or how things might change. But for people that worry a lot, uh, one of the best things is, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it works, scheduling time to worry. So if somebody says, I worry constantly and I'm just a 
big ball of anxiety all day long, then uh, science will show that if you set aside 15 minutes a day to worry, you have to schedule it. So you might say from seven to 7.15 at night, I'm gonna worry. And then you sit down at the table and you might just sit and think for 15 minutes, maybe you write down your worries, but you allow yourself to worry, 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 worry for 15 minutes. And then whenever you worry outside of those 15 minutes, you just remind yourself, it's not time to worry yet. I'll do that later. And at first you're going to constantly be telling yourself that, okay, I'm, I'm, I can't worry about that right now. I'm going to do it later. But studies will show when you consistently do that over time, your brain gets used to saying, okay, I'm going to worry about that later. And you can contain your worries to just 15 minutes a day. It's an exercise I've used with tons of people in my therapy office. And usually within about two weeks, they'll say, you know, gosh, I feel lighter. I'm able to focus better during the day. Uh, I feel like I'm more productive and they just, their mood is way better because they're noticing that it's starting to work, that they're seeing changes in their brain. So for people that say I'm kind of a worry wart, I think it's one of the best things that, that you can do. It's um, takes a little practice, takes some work to get there, but it can be quite effective. That is brilliant. And I think you could do it with any emotion technically, right? It's time to be sad watch a movie, binge watch, be sad even, right? Absolutely. And so when, when we can do that, it kind of teaches our brain. We don't have to avoid those things that it's, we're allowed to do it. It's like exposure to it, but at the same time, teaching us that we don't have to do that all the time that, and it's something about giving ourselves permission to do it later. As long as we do that, then our brain's like, okay, I don't need to do that right now because we don't want to get rid of worry altogether. Uh, sometimes people are like, I don't ever want to worry again, but it's not really realistic. And to be able to separate what's helpful and what isn't. So if you're thinking about something a lot because you're solving a problem, that could be a good thing. But most of the time we rehash things that already happened. We're just ruminating on how awful we feel and imagining worst case scenarios when there's nothing we can do about it. So when we're just thinking those kinds of thoughts, that's when it's really important to say, I'll just schedule time to worry about it later. Oh my gosh, you know, I really want to thank you for reiterating this because I did hear this in your book. And in that moment, I'm like, I love this. And then it went in one ear and then apparently out the other. It's like, oh my gosh, we totally need to have repetition when it comes to learning. Like we need to hear it like a thousand times before we take it into action, right? So thank you. I'll I'll totally do that. I actually wrote it down this time. I think I I actually wrote it down the first time and I still didn't do it. Like I'm the person that, you know, I don't consider myself a worry wart because I'll, I'll be on that action oriented person. So I think, oh, there's no time to worry. I just, you know, I've got to keep on plugging things away versus, you know, being more healthy and actually saying, oh, you know what? I'm allowed to worry and I'll just take time for 15 minutes a day. Like, hello, it's easy, no brainer, but I forgot. So thank well, I always you. say, try it, try it as an experiment, try it for two weeks, see if it improves your life. If not, move on and try something else. But you might find that it's after two weeks, you might think this is something I'm going to keep and incorporate it into my schedule on an ongoing basis. Totally. So for all the listeners or viewers out there, I would love to hear from you guys. Why don't we all do it together for two weeks? And then you come back and comment and DM us on Embrace You First on Instagram. And like, it'll be awesome. Thank you. I would love to. Um, I would love to hear how people find that it works because it's so fun when people say this is something clicked and I'm able to give that up now. So, okay. So this has now become like a little two week challenge, worry challenge. (laughs) Awesome. I love being spontaneous. Okay. So now you mentioned something about problem focused coping skills and emotion focused coping skills. What does that mean? What are they? When do you do it? Do you do it together? Let's hear what you have to say. 
Yeah, that was something I talked about in a recent episode of my podcast. We were specifically talking about the pandemic and it's the two kind of coping skills that we all need. And we all tend to rely on one more than the other and just being aware of it. So for example, a problem focused coping skill is when you attack the problem head on. So this might be, if you're in debt, you sit down and you come up with a budget and you figure out exactly how much you're going to pay and you start solving the problem. Uh, Emotion-focused coping is when you say, okay, I can't solve the problem, but I can solve how I feel about the problem. So this is, comes in handy when it's something like maybe a health issue of a family member. You can't fix it. You could do some kind stuff for them. Maybe you drive them to an appointment. Maybe you make a meal for them, but you can't make their health diagnosis change. So for people that tend to be doers, this is, gets really stressful because you're like, I want to fix it and you can't. But the only thing you can focus on is say, okay, how do I change how I feel about this? So maybe you read a book, maybe you go for a walk, you work in the garden, you find ways to say, how do I take care of my feelings in a healthy way? And during the pandemic, we're finding a lot of those coping strategies were taken away. You can't go to the gym maybe, or you can't have coffee with friends. You can't get out of the house and do those things that you used to enjoy. So we're hearing from a lot of people who are turning to uh, to food, they're turning to alcohol, they're just binge watching TV for days on end, or they're using social media constantly. And, and it's starting to take a toll on them now that we've been in this for uh, almost a year. And people are saying, well, you know, gosh, I'm realizing now that I need to change my habits, but it's hard to do. So I always encourage people to figure out what are your coping strategies? Most of us were never taught how to cope with difficult emotions. And this is one of the reasons why I wrote the kids book, because I want to change that for uh, kids to know sometimes you can solve a problem. Sometimes you can't figuring out which, which approach you're going to take is the first step. And then saying, well, what, what are the strategies I'm going to use? How do I take care of my feelings when I'm angry? How do I take care of myself when I'm anxious, when I'm sad? And then how do I solve a problem? A lot of people who lack problem solving skills or a lot of people will say, I don't want to tackle that problem because my anxiety goes up. So if we took the financial example, if you're really deeply in debt, sitting down and looking at all your bills and facing that head on, it's going to make your anxiety go up. So a lot of times people will avoid it, but then the more you avoid it, the more your anxiety goes up over time. So you need both coping strategies to say, okay, how do I solve this problem? And again, there's always more than one way to solve a problem, but people who lack problem solving skills will just kind of throw their hands in the air and say, there's nothing I can do about this, but there's tons of ways. And if you just get better at practicing, all right, what are five ways I could solve this problem? And if you just practice developing five solutions to every problem, you get better over time at seeing that there's lots of different things you could do, many different ways you could tackle it, and it gives you more confidence in your ability to, to tackle problems when you have them. That's really fantastic. Now, you know, I'm now present to the fact that you wrote a children's book, and uh, I was speaking to uh, Dr. Samantha Martin. So I hope you're gonna listen to this, Dr. Samantha. And she's a pediatrician and adolescent medicine specialist. And she's working at basically like, like an eating disorder clinic in one of our local hospitals. And she shared that since the pandemic, the eating disorder program there, normally there's like one to four adolescents admitted with an eating disorder. And then now it's like six to nine. So really the rough data that she has seen is like 31% increase in outpatient visits and 20% increase in inpatient volumes, which is like incredibly high. And so, and the waiting list actually has gone from three months to six to nine months to get into their program. So it's insane. And like, so how do you tell parents to help deal with these kids that are experiencing higher levels of anxiety now? 
Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So there's a study that Mental Health America just did, and it found that our mental health is the worst it's ever been in 20 years. And but when we talk a lot about mental health, people tend to think, well, it's adults because adults are feeling the pandemic strain because we're struggling with financial issues and social issues. But they actually found it was kids who were most likely to be depressed and have anxiety. 11 to 17 was the group at the highest risk. And of course, we know some kids aren't in school. Some kids are only able to go to school occasionally. Um, a lot of their after school activities are canceled and they can't do a lot of the things kids do from birthday parties to uh, sporting events. And so it's taking a serious toll on them. And so for parents to just recognize that, sometimes it's about just acknowledging how tough it is. I'm hearing from some parents who are telling kids things like, well, I would have loved to have not had to go to school when I was your age. And well, maybe that's true. That's not helpful for your kids to hear right now. They need us to validate how they, how they feel. And even if you don't agree with it, or maybe you don't understand it, that that's okay. You can still say, I understand that this is really tough for you. And then the goal is to not necessarily fix it. Our, it's tough to see our kids struggling, but when you just try to cheer them up by like, let's go out for ice cream, you had a bad day. It doesn't teach kids how to take care of their feelings. We need to actively teach them coping strategies. Maybe you color when you're angry and that helps you calm down, or maybe you get some exercise and that helps you, you call a friend. But we need to be working with them proactively on talking about when you're sad, how do you take care of sad feelings? When you're angry, what do you do? And then guiding them. And so instead of fixing it for them, we become more like a guide rather than protecting them or shielding them from it or trying to fix everything. And for parents to know that if your kids need to talk to someone, it's not a, a weakness on your part. It's not a sign that you're a defective parent or you're not doing enough. It might just be your child needs a little help uh, figuring some things out. And, and then parents aren't always the right person to do that. Just like if your child scrapes their knee, you can probably fix that at home and you know how to clean it out. But if your child breaks their arm, you need to go see somebody to, to get it addressed. Emotional wounds are the same. Little ones, uh, you guys can figure out how to fix at home. It's the bigger ones that you want to get somebody else to take a look at and give you some guidance too on how you can help. That's really brilliant that you say that because of course then, you know, there's a parenting thought of, oh my gosh, that's shameful. Like I can't handle it myself and I have to go see a professional. And really it's completely not like that, right? I mean, you look at super athletes and they always have a coach and I look at mental health or resiliency through help, help from professionals as a similar kind of thing. Exactly. And that your kids, just because they don't tell you everything doesn't, again, doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong as a parent, they're not supposed to tell you everything. And so they may just feel more comfortable talking to a stranger about something that they're going through because they're embarrassed. They don't want to be judged. They don't want mom or dad to be disappointed. They don't want to get in trouble. Kids that are saying, well, you know, I, I cheated on a test and I feel really guilty about it. They may not go to mom or dad and, and acknowledge it later on because they know that you're going to be disappointed. So it's okay to let them talk to somebody else. You don't have to know everything that they talk about, but instead just um, be happy that they're talking to someone. Love that. Is there any other thing that you want to provide advice on as we are closing up our, in our conversation today? You know, I think, uh, I guess another one is just to make sure that when it comes to kids that we don't shield them too much from the realities of the world. I'm seeing a lot of parents who don't want their kids to know about certain things. And obviously we don't want to talk about everything. They don't need to sit and watch the six o'clock news with you. Uh, and we don't need to expose them to hardship just to toughen them up. But it's okay to let them know about that not all people are great people and not good things don't always happen to good people. And there are people out there who are struggling. 
So we need to let them know that and then give them guidance and help them work through those things and help them figure that out. I teach college classes and I see what happens to kids who are overprotected and they get to school and the minute mom or dad are gone, they um, really struggle to manage those things. So I think we all have great opportunities while our kids are with us to say, how do I help them build mental strength now? How do I coach them without taking on too much? But at the same time, how do I make sure that I'm giving them the skills and tools they need so that when they fail in life, when they make a mistake, that they'll know how to, how to bounce back from those things. Love that. And then I would add to that, you know, I think fail, the word fail, people take it personally, like mm-hmm. I am a failure versus it failed right? So yes. um, to address it so that you're not associating with yourself or identifying yourself as a failure versus something failed. And there are things that I can do to be mentally stronger and be more resilient and, and just, you know, get through. Right? And, and failure just gives the opportunity to have growth mindset. It's like, I failed, but guess what? That's a good thing because you're going to never forget that. <laughs> you're going to remember the mistake. Exactly. There's a whole there's a whole part in my book where I talk about how um, kids, when they talked about scientists in school, and they just talked about how successful the scientists were, the kids' grades went down. The minute they started talking about, well, Edison actually had a lot of experiments that didn't work out, and Einstein didn't always do things that worked out as well. He failed sometimes. The kids' grades went back up. So just reminding them that successful people probably failed a lot of times along the way can help kids feel like they have the courage to go ahead and take a risk or attempt something, even though it might not work out. Do you ever use an emotion board, like just to help little ones kind of identify their emotions? Just curious. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I use it with uh, big kids and adults sometimes too. That it's hard. You know, when you say, let's talk about our feelings and you ask an adult to list how many feeling words they can come up with. They usually come up with about five because we don't talk about emotions enough. And so sometimes just having a list that you can draw from and, um, and help remind you, oh yeah, there's feelings outside of happy, mad, and sad. So yes, I use that all the time. And I think that increasing our emotional vocabulary is super important. Great. That's awesome. Thank you. So thank you for being here. And we always close off our sessions with asking you, our guest, what filled your cup, whether it's today or just every day? Ah, what fills my cup? I guess my friends and family. I'm lucky that uh, I live on a sailboat in the Florida Keys, so I get to be outside a lot of times, but um, I have wonderful friends and family around me, and because we're outside, even though we've had to social distance um, with extended friends and family, I have a really awesome core group of people that I get to see regularly, and that definitely keeps my cup full. That's awesome. Uh, That'll keep me. Wow. I'm living on a sailboat. (laughs) That's why the background. I'm like, I know. That's what I was thinking. Such a cool background. Yeah. That's what it is. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you. We would love to have you back on and, you know, good luck with the book and uh, everyone just go to our show notes. We'll have all of um, your contact information and uh, your website will be up there as well. So check it out. And until next time, We shall see you guys real soon.